say it's a, it's such a privilege and honor to be here with you. By the way, hi Ohio, because um, um, I'm visiting too. You see, so when you guys came in, we thought we were both like, yeah, right. Um, uh, so uh, one of the cool things that is connecting me with you that you probably don't know about is about 20 years ago now. I was up in northern Uganda uh, visiting for Life Water, but also visiting my nephew who was running a development ranch there in northern Uganda near Lira. And uh, so when I got there, um, uh, he said to me, Keith said to me, he said, Hey, Dan, we have several bungalows here for people to stay in, and, and uh, you're welcome to stay in this one. And there's a guy here also visiting. Uh, from uh, Uganda and uh, down south, and you're welcome to stay there, or you're welcome to stay in this other one that's empty. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been traveling, I've been around people, I, I don't need to be around somebody like, you know, whoever that is, and it's a stranger, and, and, which you all are. Uh, uh, and uh, and so, um, so I stayed in the other bungalow, but in the next several days, I met this guy, uh, by the name of George Muzale, whom subsequently after we, uh, I got to know him and I thought, you know, George is so cool. And so then we invited George when we were in Kenya uh, to go on an impact trip, be our teacher on an impact trip. So he came from Uganda as a Ugandan and was our teacher on a, a North American impact trip in Kenya. So it was a, a nice multiracial deal and um, cross-cultural deal, and, and then you guys, and I'm not really sure where the connection ever was made between you and George, but you have been such a blessing to George and Stella and their family. And uh, if you ever, if you think about it, uh, pray for them that one of their sons uh, has disappeared, and uh, so they're very anxious about that. What's that? He was. Oh, Good. Yay, did you all hear that? He was found, their son. So yay, God. All right. So let me pray for us. Oh, and one other thing, side note. I get into this sermon thing, and I forget where I am or what I'm doing. And, and, um, and so if at the end I don't call for the offering, they've got it covered. So don't worry, you get to give. Huh? Huh? All right. So the scripture this morning comes out of Matthew. It could come out of any one of the four Gospels, as you'll hear in a moment. But this morning we're reading out of Matthew, chapter 14. And I'm going to start uh, with, with verse 13. So here it is. Here's what it says. When Jesus heard what had happened, and, and what had happened was that Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat, now catch these words, privately to a solitary place. All right, you put that in, in the memory bank now, and then listen to what happens. Privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, Matthew, what? Privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowd, I, I, who knows how they heard if it was privately to a solitary place. 
Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I'll say 5,000 people, he had compassion on them and healed the sick. As the evening approached, his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is really a remote place. I don't know that they use the word hey. Um, This is really a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Now, my suspicions were that the disciples were getting hangry and, um, and wanted the people to go away so that they could get something to eat. You know, we all take care of ourselves. And uh, so Jesus replied, uh, they do not need to go away. Then this great line, you give them something to eat. We have, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were eight, that, that were not eaten. And there was 5,000 men besides women and children. All right, good, perfect. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, thank you uh, for this story. Lord, I pray that it would speak to each of our hearts, each of our minds, each of our lives and our actions. Um, Lord, transform us. We know as we live our lives that we need your transforming power. We know that we need your power to be agents of your reconciliation into this world. For Lord, you know this world is broken. So Lord, we pray that as we ingest your word, that we might be your people more completely and fully and be salt and light into the world. We thank you and praise you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. So, there we have it. The, the, the story, if, huh? I like that. Yeah, buy two, get 5,000 free. Yeah, do it. Um, so, this, this parable, this story, this miracle... The interesting thing about this miracle, there's lots of things interesting about it, but, but the one fascinating thing about it is that it's, it's uh, in all four Gospels. It's, it is actually the only miracle that we find in all four Gospels. So you have to ask yourself, you have to ask, why, why is this miracle? Why is this miracle the only miracle that the disciples all felt compelled to put in all four Gospels. And, um, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to, I, we, we're going to work together, okay? Before that, hey, come on, give me some feedback, guys. See some facial expressions. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you three scenarios of why this, um, why this miracle of all the miracles is in all four Gospels. And then at the end, we're going to vote. 
So now you've got to stay with me to, so, that, so that you know how to vote at the end of what was the most compelling reason that the disciples found to include this. I mean, you think about it for a moment. There's Lazarus. I mean, if you were one of the disciples and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, wouldn't you put that in your gospel? I mean, what about, what about casting out the demon uh, of that demoniac? And, and the, remember that one? And, and he cast him out and he went into the pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and over the fence and they were all killed. And, and that would be pretty startling. But this is the one, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 all four of the gospel writers decide to put it in their gospel. All right? So now the other thing that I have to say is about it is that um, as I was walking out yesterday, uh, it's funny, this Saturday night thing. Um, I feel like I'm living two Sundays. Uh, so, so as I was walking out yesterday, some guy was sitting in the back, and he, everybody else had left, and he was still sitting there. And, and, and so I introduced myself, and he said, well, you know, I don't think it was any one of the three that, of choices that you gave us. And I, and I thought, you know, if we had more time, more than an hour, I would have you divide up into groups and, and talk about it and see if there's a, a fourth or a fifth reason why you think all of the... So afterwards, if you think of something else, of you think as a compelling reason that all four gospel writers included it, share it with me, and, and I'll share it in the next hour, okay? All right, here we go. So reason number one that I think that was compelling was that when Jesus heard this news, this news that, that uh, John the Baptist had been beheaded, you know, that was Jesus' cousin, and Jesus and John the Baptist had a close relationship. And so he had sent the disciples out to, on a healing mission. It was sort of their first mission that he'd sent them out on. And they came back, and the news came back with them that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Now, I don't know about you, but every now and then, something happens in my life and I feel kicked in the gut. I mean, I just, you know, and, and I'm sure every one of you here at some point in your life have been just hammered, whether it's a job, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a kid, whether it, life just has those moments that knock us down, knock us to the ground, and we want to, Southwest Airlines, we want to get away. And, and those, those of us who are our introverts tend to want to be, get away a little bit more than those who are extroverts. But, but still when that happens, when something happens like that, you want to just, you want to just take a moment and say, okay, I, I, I want to get it behind me. I, 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 I need to go think about it. I need, to, I need to go pray. I need to process. I need to grieve the loss, whatever that loss was. And so... Jesus gets his disciples, they get in a boat, and they go across the Lake of Galilee. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in Israel, but on the far side, on the uh, east side of the Lake of Galilee, it's pretty remote. It's a pretty barren spot. Oh, there's some kibbutzes, but it's pretty isolated. And uh, so they go across the lake, and I, I love the way Matthew sets it, frames it. They tried to sneak away, and they didn't. And 
thousand people. They see this mass of people coming at them from the north side of the lake, coming down toward them. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd say, guys, let's get back in the boat. Let's head south. 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. I don't know when you've been around that many people in a stadium someplace, but that's a mass of people. That's, that's pretty overwhelming to see that many people coming toward you. And so, but Jesus, now here's, here's what I think. The disciples see Jesus deal with his emotions. In our day and age right now, when we talk with people, when we look at stuff, so often our emotions control us. In the little book called Switch by, uh, by Keith, Seth Keith, he, um, he says, you know, our life is sort of like riding an elephant. And our brain is the rider on top of the elephant. And our emotions are the elephant. And if the elephant and the emotions go one direction, even if the rider of the elephant says, no, 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 that's not the way to go. Don't do that. Guess who wins? The elephant does. And the disciples see Jesus deal with his emotions when he sees the crowd and he says, it says he has compassion on them. They were, John says they were like sheep without a shepherd. It is this mass of people. And Jesus organizes them. He has them sit them. He has the disciples sit them down in groups of a hundred. Quick math: five thousand people. Groups of a hundred. How many groups? Who's the mathematician? Come on. Huh? What? Fifty. Thank you. Raise your hand. Nice going. Fifty groups of a hundred. Right. So that hey, that begins to say. This is, this is a massive deal. And Jesus puts his emotions under control. He knows what he's feeling. He's hurting about John. But he puts them aside. He unselfs himself for a moment so that he can have compassion on the people that are in front of him. The disciples had just come back from trying to do ministry. And he was able, and, and I'm sure they went like, you know, they got all kinds of flack from people. And when we get flack, when we get different opinions, when we get different thoughts, our emotions go like, no! And Jesus was able to set that aside and look at somebody, ask their name, ask what was going on in their life, and listen to them and put his emotions aside. That's tough stuff, men and women. I, 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 I don't know the last time you were in an emotional conversation. It's hard to put our emotions aside and love another person for the kingdom of God. And I think that's probably a compelling reason that the disciples said, man, I'm putting this in my, in my book. I was just, uh, my wife and I, my wife's having problems with her eyes and we were just at the DMV the other day. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and just even when you say those words, right? What do you think? Moo. Well, yeah, a number. Take a number. Move over there if you got this number. Over there if you got this number. 
It was different this time. I don't know what the deal was. But we were treated with compassion and thoughtfulness. And maybe it was just that lady behind the desk. I don't know. But it was like, where am I? I'm in a different place. No, it was the DMV, really, it was. And, and, and I wanted to write home about it. I wanted to put it in my book, that experience, because it was so different. It was caught me off guard. And that's what I think happened for the disciples. It caught them off guard of Jesus' ability to care and have compassion on those people. Okay, that's scenario number one. You got it? Put it in your head. Hold on to it. Here's number two. So, so Jesus is, is talking to each of these groups. He's, he's healing people. He's learning people's names. He's loving people. He's letting them know about that song, Who is God and Who Am I? And, and, and he, he's spending time. And the disciples are getting hungry. It's getting late. They've, they've sailed across the lake. They haven't had anything to eat. And um, as I said, they're hangry. And, and, and so they come to Jesus and kind of knowing where Jesus was too. There's a little protectivism going on here. And they come to Jesus and say, hey, send these people away. Get them out of here. These people from Ohio, you know, it's a problem. Um, and and, and so, so he, 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 Jesus kind of looks at him for a minute. And um, let's move on to the next slide. Jesus looks at him at a minute, the three disciples are standing there, and he goes, no, you feed him. And I love these expressions. I just love him. Look at the guy on the right. Kind of rolling his eyes like, what are you talking about? Do you know how many people are here? There are 50 groups of 100 people out there. What? You can't. You... And then the guy on, on the other side is just kind of like, Almost mad. Have you been ever asked to do something at work that's far bigger than you? I mean, I, you are asking me to do that? No. And the, and the guy in the middle is like, Jesus, let's be reasonable. Let's think about this. You know, six months of, six months of pay wouldn't be enough money to buy food for all these people. Come on, Jesus. And just about that moment, Andrew brings this little guy on the right. Andrew brings this little guy. And I, how did you go to lunch? I mean, did you walk to school or carry your lunch? No, I'm, uh, no, when you carried your lunch to school, what did you carry it in? A lunch basket, a little brown bag. He probably had a, where in the heck did they get this basket all nicely displayed? Ah. And so Andrew had, the, Andrew had the courage, and I love Andrew for the courage of it. If, if you saw the massive challenge to feed 5,000 people, okay, and, and some little kid says, hey, you can use my lunch. I mean, it's great. I mean, the kid, had, mom had made lunch for him. He was actually being amazingly generous, right? Now, if you'd been Andrew... What would have you said? Thanks, thanks, son. But you eat your lunch. Well, I mean, seriously. But Andrew, for whatever reason, I love it, he brings it to Jesus. And 
the disciples catch what happened. That the little bit that that little boy generously gave was what Jesus used to feed that mass of people. I, I have a hunch that God wants more from us. He probably wants our lunch that sometimes we think is too little, too insignificant, not enough to make any difference. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? To think, oh, I, I, I just don't have the ability. I don't have the gift. I don't, I don't have what it takes to go on a mission trip. I don't have what it takes to be an elder. I don't have what it takes to talk to my neighbor over the back fence about why I'm a Christian. My little bit doesn't make any difference. And what I think captured the disciples' imagination is that this tiny bit of food, two fish, five loaves, in Christ's hands, fed a multitude. In the hands of God, your inadequacy, your little bit, is a miracle waiting to happen. Your little can never remain little once it's been given to Jesus. I think that was compelling for the disciples to include this in their gospel. They saw it. They had already been out on a mission. And I don't know when you last tried to do something and take a step of faith and say, I, I don't feel adequate, but okay, I'll do it. And to see God use it. Sometimes we say a word of encouragement to somebody and weeks, months later, somebody says to us, you know, your word to me was so helpful, so encouraging. I was so down. I was so overwhelmed. And your word helped me so much. Thank you. And you go like, whoa. God did use my little bit for his kingdom. That little poem, I, I have a hunch God wants your lunch. Huh? Reason number two. Reason number three. So, let's move on. So, here's, here's the deal. We, at least I have in my brain, thought, oh, the miracle happened when Jesus took and broke the bread. But, but, but when you read the story carefully, you all of a sudden begin to realize that the miracle happened there, but again, the little bit of food and the mass of people. I, I, I imagine they used their, their robes like this or something. I don't know. They didn't have baskets. They talk about baskets. Where the heck they get baskets? I don't know. So, so they had... They had their food, and Jesus was breaking this food, and it was given to him. And he gives, he gives this guy here some food, and he gives Michael some food, and, and he gives people food, and, and, and the disciples. And, and then the disciples take this, whatever they could carry. How much, I don't know how much food you can carry. I don't know. And, and, um, and they start giving it out. Now, a hundred people. How many of you have cooked a meal for 15 people? Huh? 
Come on. Yeah? How many of you have cooked a meal for 50 people? How many of you have cooked a meal for 100 people? All right, that's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. And, and there's 12 disciples and there's 50 groups of 100. So they start taking the food and handing it out. And all of a sudden, it dawns on them that what they had was being multiplied through their hands. The power of the living God was flowing through them. You're here this morning. At some point, the power of God has touched you or flowed through you. It's an amazing experience when you realize that God is doing something significant through your life. Catches you. And you go, oh wow, I'm part of the miracle of God. The priesthood of all believers, if you say yes to Jesus Christ, Christ says to you, you are my priest to the world. You are commissioned to use what God has given you to feed others. I think that captured the disciples and maybe that was the most compelling reason that they chose to put it in their gospel. Alright? Take a moment. Think about the three, three things. Emotions, our little bit God wants your lunch. The power of God flowing through them as part of the miracle. Got it? All right, number one. Who would vote for number one? Who do you think that's the most compelling reason to put it in the gospel? Okay, we, I didn't do a very good job selling it. All right. Number two. I have a hunch God wants your lunch. All right. And three. The power of God moving through you. Two and three are pretty pretty even. Now, I, don't, I suspect that all three of those reasons probably were compelling to put it in the gospel, and they probably came together. And you probably have, you probably have another reason in your brain that says, man, I, if I was a disciple and I saw this event, I would put it in my gospel. God is writing his story through you, you who have said yes to Christ, you who are a follower of Jesus. And every day, every day, as we're aware that God meets us in our place and loves us and cares about us and gives us his food and nourishment into our lives, that we're called and commissioned to be his people for his cause. God has a great plan and wants us to be a part of it, to be a part of that great plan of the kingdom of God.